Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello, hello, and welcome to the March 29th episode of the Lynn Cullen uh, thing. And, uh, man, you think the sun is uh, ever going to show its <laughs> face again? Uh, the good news is I'm... I'm flying somewhere tomorrow, so I'll get above the clouds, and I know if it's there, I'm going to see it one way or the other. Okay, uh, guys. Um, something I failed to uh, remember to talk about yesterday that I just want to uh, get my two cents worth in on uh, was the reboot of uh, Roseanne Barr's uh, show. Uh, I did watch it because it seemed like one of those sort of cultural touchstones that you're supposed to watch. Um, I'd read a lot about it uh, before. Um, and I, I have told you in the past, I am not a fan of the genre sitcoms. Just not. I don't get them. I don't like, I just don't like them. I, I, I can't tell you a sitcom I like. Um, maybe Curb Your Enthusiasm. I, 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 but I just don't like the genre. Um, and it, I didn't like the show. <laughs> I saw that it was well written, all of that, but I just don't like them. I'm sorry, I don't like them. Um, also, I found it very difficult to look at her because, like so many women in Hollywood, she has been plastic surger surgically uh, altered and Botoxed to beat the band, and her face doesn't move anymore. You know, one of the one of the things about uh, Roseanne as a comedian is that, you know, she had a, a, a very plastic face to go along with her eviscerating wit. And the face is gone. It's just gone. And I literally do. I mean, it's not just her. It's anyone like that. Uh, I've, uh, Jane Fonda. Any, name them. There's a million of them. I, uh, Sandra Bullock. God, have you seen her lately? You can't look. <laughs> they've, they've been altered into this bizarre uh, iteration of, them, of their previous selves, but it's, to me, very painful to look at. So I'll, I'll tell you, between, between that and the fact that I don't like sitcoms, and, and then I... Um, I find it hard to laugh in general about, you know, it was annoying me that, um, first of all, the the cast member who was there to uphold my point of view, I guess, uh, Lori Metcalf, seemed to me, like so many sitcom uh, actors, just so over the top and stupid. I, I hated it. If you want to know the truth, <laughs> I hated it. 
I really did. The obligatory, okay, we got the sort of gay cross-dressing, maybe transsexual son. We got the little black girl who was, did, did I even see that she'd been um, uh, accounted for? Uh, I, 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 I hated it. Hated it. Um, it got preachy at times, too. Uh, with, especially with, with the transsexual, uh, or whatever he is, will prove to be a uh, cast member. Um, I hated it. And now, hearing Donald Trump likes it, I hate it even more. So that's what reminded me to tell you my reaction uh, to it. Uh, apparently, it uh, just stunned uh, the folks who uh, watch audience numbers, because it was a huge, huge uh, audience that it attracted. It will be uh, minus. Something's going to drop. It will be minus uh, this pair of eyeballs uh, on its next uh, showing, and uh, I hope I'm not alone. Uh, for those of you wondering, I know this came as a shock to my son, who just sort of assumed that Roseanne Barr would be you know, sort of one of us. Uh, well, she ain't. She's a true uh, Trumpite, Trumpista. And uh, he, knowing that, uh, you know, gave her a congratulatory phone call. <laughs> Damn. Um, so, yeah, they're on the same page. Anything that's going to help humanize him or even his, uh, his voters, I'm, I, I wouldn't want to watch anyway. I'm, so I just want to tell you, bleh. the only thing I liked is John Goodman, because I like him. And uh, admittedly, some of the, as I said, some of the, some of the humor, the jokes, they were funny. Uh, and I appreciate the the skill of the writers, but I just. I'm sorry. That's just me. <coughs> so I wanted to get that in. Uh, yesterday, I spent a lot of time yapping at you, um, uh, reading this thread about um, what Google and Facebook and all those other social media folks know about you and uh, me and all the rest of us and and um, how we would not allow anybody, any entity, governmental or private, uh, to have that information if we were paying attention. <laughs> I, I would think I'd be shocked. And I talked about how in uh, China we're already seeing the black mirrorish uh, future in, in that uh, there's this uh, scale that the Chinese are going to be rated on, each, in, each individual citizen of that huge nation, uh, by virtue of uh, everything, their behavior, what they watch, and of course all that information known to the government by virtue of the fact that we're all now living um, on the internet. So I came upon another story about it that um, 
freaked me out. Uh, oh, wait, that's the old one. Um, let me try to find it. All right, so I'm not finding it. Let me just remember it. It turns out that China now, other than, you know, following up, they literally are so surveilling every member of uh, their country by virtue of the fact that all of their all of their purchases, all of their, you know, searches for information are all happening now in a, on a platform that the government can watch. And uh, China also, like increasingly we do, have uh, cameras uh, all over the place so that people are being videoed and photographed uh, as they go about their their lives as as well and another thing that china is doing this freaked me out is it used to be in rush hours in china that it would be you know the deafening cacophony that you hear um in so many cities not here people don't use their car horns here i do but most people don't. I think for some reason Pittsburghers consider the car horn um, something that is rude. <laughs> and people would rather sit behind somebody who, when the light turns green, sits there. They would rather sit there themselves than everybody else behind them would rather sit there through an entire light cycle uh, rather than, babe, yoo-hoo. But uh, as I said... That ain't me. I'm the one who honks. Turns out that there is much less honking in China these days. You know why? Because every time a horn honks, they have through their cameras and other technological devices, they figure out which vehicle the sound came from, they tag it, and that person is um, not only given a fine, but their photo, their name, is put up on like, uh, they're, sh they're publicly shamed. And that's another thing that China is doing. I don't know if they have message boards with all these miscreants on it, jaywalkers, because it can happen to jaywalkers, uh, horn honkers, where literally, because they also, they use facial recognition and retinal scans. And, you know, we're, we're already way into uh, the sci-fi stuff of just uh, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and, and China because it is an authoritarian regime, it is just making, making use of every tool that they now have to intimidate and uh, keep an eye on. And uh, it is no, there is no doubt in the mind of any Chinese citizen that they are literally being surveilled every moment. 
by their government. Now, we pretty much are there too. Um, but I think generally it's we're being surveilled because this, of course, is the capitalist uh, heart of the world. We are being surveilled by uh, private entities uh, so that they can more uh, deftly separate us from our uh, billfolds. Does anyone use that word anymore? <laughs> do you even know what a billfold is? Amy, do you know that word? Yeah? Kind of? Billfold. I don't know where that came from. I think I meant wallet or I meant money. I don't know. Billfold? Well, it makes sense, I guess. Um, so I got to tell you, um, I'm old, so I get to say things like this. I don't like this world. I don't like this new world. And I guess I'm lucky that I'm old because I'm not going to have to live in it when it really gets totally creepy. But people I love are going to. And uh, that's un it's just unsettling to me. I'm sorry. It really, really is. Oh... All right. Uh, Obed of the day. Johann von Holst. Um, this guy, pretty amazing. He was Dutch. And uh, this is interesting because uh, Turner Classic Movies, which is my default uh, thing to watch. Uh, I'll watch a. I've told you. I've. I'll. I'll watch a lousy, old movie, uh, s sooner than I'd watch a mediocre new movie. I don't know why, but it's just the way it is. Um, but on Turner Classic Movies last night, they were doing the Diary of Anne Frank, and I thought, oh, no, I don't want to watch it. But I did. I, wa I didn't watch the whole thing. I couldn't watch them getting captured, but I I watched up until uh, that point and then withdrew. Um, when I was in Amsterdam not too long ago, I, uh, I went uh, to the place where Anne Frank and her family uh, hid from the Nazis and, and to be there, to be uh, in the rooms that they were in, to see. And it's been kept like like it was. It's, it's pretty damn mind-blowing. And to think of the unbelievable courage of the non-Jewish uh, people who protected them. And in the movie, uh, Anne asks her father, what will happen to them if they are found out and we are found out? And her father says they will suffer the same fate that we do. And so I've always in my life been blown away by 
the courage of the people who risked their own lives and often lost their own lives protecting or attempting to protect and save people who were being literally hounded to their deaths. Um, because there was a death sentence attached to doing it, and maybe not for just you, but for your family as well. And I don't know many people, including myself, who would have the courage to do that. So the people who did that, who do that, are the best of the best. They're extraordinarily courageous people. And this man was such a man, Johann von Hulst. Uh, he, he died uh, this week at the age of 107. Excuse me. 107. And a funny thing, from the obit, it actually says, the Dutch Senate, where Dr. von Hulst later served, announced his death, but did not disclose the cause. Well, I just cracked up when I read that. What do you mean did not disclose the cause? He was 107. <laughs> uh, duh. There's the cause. I mean, excuse me. Jesus, what a stupid sentence. Uh, that in the uh, New York Times obituary section. I mean, come on. When people get up uh, to that range of age, when they die, they die because they're old. Jesus. Anyway, um, having just watched the Anne Frank story set in the Netherlands and in Amsterdam and then seeing this obit today of a man who lived right up until now who also while the Franks were being sheltered and hidden but then unfortunately found down the road a bit was this doctor and he ran a teacher's training college. Next to his teacher's training college was uh, a nursery. And it was a nursery that was used by the Germans when they were rounding up families like the Franks and other Jewish families in Amsterdam they would put them in a building that was literally right across from his college. And there they would be processed, awaiting uh, being transported to a labor camp, and then from the labor camp you get uh, taken to Auschwitz. So there across from him are all of these poor trapped slated for death families and in that house across the street 
the children were separated from their parents. Just to add a little element of cruelty, I guess. And, of course, when I read that in the obit, I thought, where did I last see that? People in distress who are detained by authorities being separated from their children and the children from their parents. Where did I see that cruelty play out? Oh, yeah. It was the United States of America where our immigration and custom authorities are doing exactly that to terrified people running for their lives from other countries and other situations seeking asylum. And we grab them and we separate them and send a mother all the way to California and send a six-year-old child by herself to Chicago, both detained. Yeah. So the Nazis did that too. I'm just saying. So across the street, it used to be a theater, these Jewish children were taken from their parents and they were sent to this nursery across the street and next door to the doctor's teacher training school. And at one point, there were so many kids in that nursery that the authorities there went to the good doctor and said, could we possibly use a spare room, if you have it, to put some of our children. And they did. And unbelievably ingenious ways, this doctor and the people at the nursery began to play with records so that when people, the Nazis, who were, you know, notorious about meticulously keeping records of every life they were destroying and taking everything of value from every life they were destroying and very carefully noting everything they confiscated from those poor souls, including, of course, the gold from their teeth and the hair from their head, right? But the guy who ran the place that the Nazis were putting the kids and families and the people in the nursery and this doctor they got together. And so if, let's say, in a day, 30 children were taken from their families in the building and taken across the street to the nursery, the people would only write down 25, the guy who, 25 names. Thus, 
saving five of those poor 30 children. Those 30 children sort of then sort of disappeared, and they disappeared into the teacher's college. Now, a tram ran down the middle of the street. And so this doctor, von Holst, and students who he taught, who aided him in this, all of these people, courageous beyond belief, they waited for the precise moment when the tram would stop in between the holding place that the Nazis had and the school. And for those few seconds, the SS guys who were guarding all their prisoners and also, of course, eyeballing the buildings across the street. Their view was obstructed at that point. And so the children, in baskets, in sacks, in any conveyance that they could be stuck in, were then put onto the tram and taken by other people. These extraordinarily brave Dutch people to their next underground destination. Scholars who have looked at this particular operation of resistance and life-saving resistance in uh, Amsterdam say that it likely saved about 600 children. In the spring of 1945, one of the people involved uh, in the operation was arrested and tortured and gave up Dr. von Hulst's name. Hulst, knowing the guy had been captured, went into the hiding, and because it was the spring of 45, he was able to manage to elude the Germans uh, until the liberation uh, by Allied forces literally weeks later. Man. And this guy was blessed with 107 years. After the war, he went into politics. He also was in a university. He was an avid chess player. He never wanted to talk about his role uh, in the German occupation. He told a Dutch newspaper three years ago, I decline, thank you, to play the resistance hero. I closed the book. Actually, I can only think about what I was not able to do. Those thousands and thousands of children that I could not save. And he said, 
try to imagine. What happened is at one point the nursery was being closed down, so the whole operation was going to not be able to continue. And they came to him and said, we're being closed down. How many of these children that we have here are you able to uh, smuggle to safety before the Germans get their hands on them again? And here's what this extraordinary man said. Try to imagine. There I was. And before me, standing, 80 90, perhaps 100 children standing there. And I have to decide which children I am to take. That was the most difficult day of my life because you know for a fact that the children you leave behind are going to die. I took 12, he said. Later on, I kept asking myself, why not 13? Yeah. This is an extraordinary man. And he was tortured. I was thinking back how when um, uh, Dennis Palumbo, the author, was here uh, last week, and he talked about survivor guilt and how often people who do survive, so survivors of the Holocaust often, or people who did everything they could like this man, they don't feel, they don't feel good about themselves. He's haunted, this man, until his death at 107. He was haunted by the faces of the children. He didn't save. And as often happens, um, you know, so I watched and Frank... Last night, I read this guy's extraordinary life this morning. And I also see, actually, I saw this yesterday, and it now somehow resonates even more. But I don't know if, if you're aware that um, an 85-year-old woman in France, in Paris, was viciously murdered uh, earlier this week. She had survived the Holocaust. Uh, her story, her Holocaust story is like so many, just so unbelievably, I mean, filled with luck and terror. But she survived it. And continued to live in Paris and was by 
everybody's estimation, one of the sweetest human beings in the world who loved life. Now, this is a survivor. If she was, if she suffered from what could have been, it wasn't apparent to those who knew her. A woman who would come to her house, a caretaker who came to her house uh, every day to cook her lunch and keep her company, uh, said that every day she would take my face in between her hands and ask, how are you doing today, sweetheart? This, this sort of kindness from this woman who had herself seen her family killed and her friends killed and she herself was to be killed, had somehow managed. And she was killed, the French authorities say, because she was a Jew killed by two young men who one of whom she had befriended one of whom she invited into her place often and um, she was stabbed to death bound they attempted to burn her as well because as one of them said we needed money, and everybody knows Jews have money. She did not. She lived on a small, in a small second-floor apartment in a not particularly great neighborhood. But can you imagine surviving the Nazis? and making a go of it, living a life, and to be killed at the hands of young people that you had been kind to because you were a Jew. The Prime Minister of France, who attended her funeral, said, to the French people, this raises questions about a persistent strain of anti-Semitism in our country. Quote, an anti-Semitism that remains, that transforms, that reappears, that mutates. She survived the Holocaust. She had a happy life, I think. And yet she's killed at home now frail, defenseless, because she's a Jew. I bring this up also because it dovetailed with all of this and because, as you know, anti-Semitic um, uh, crimes are on the rise all over the world. And... Um, I also want to say that uh, anti-Semitism on the left is growing by leaps and bounds. Anyone who um, is aware of uh, the head of the Labour Party in uh, the UK, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, he is a, a palsy-walsy 
uh, in social media with Holocaust deniers. Um, he is himself uh, a purveyor of uh, all kinds of canards about Jews. And I, I saw an article the other day that a very high-ranking Jewish member of the Labor Party has very publicly uh, renounced the Labor Party and, uh, and left it. In France, at a memorial f march for her, the 85-year-old murdered woman, uh, Marie Le Pen, the far-rightist, had the nerve to show up and was booed and hooted. And as were members of a ultra-left uh, group who had shown up, who also traffic in anti-Semitic tropes. And uh, it was noted that uh, on both sides of the spectrum, anti-Semitism is alive and well among the right and among the left. Just saying. Nothing much seems to change, right? Okay, am I a Debbie Downer today? Sorry, you know what I'm doing? I'm teaching history. That's what I'm doing. And connecting history to the present. That great great quote I sh told you about. Who was it? Who was it from? Kierkegaard? That we're condemned to live moving into an unknown future. Believe me, I'm paraphrasing. And the only way we ever make sense out of anything is by looking back at our past. Then we make sense of things. So it is imperative to know history because it gives us some grounding, perhaps, of in the present and helps us maybe move into the unknown future. Speaking of history, your favorite historian, I'm engaging in some hyperbole. Uh, Jared Day, who used to join us with some regularity, is rejoining us next week on Wednesday. He'll be on the phone because he is not here. But uh, as you know, he uh, taught history at Carnegie Mellon, and, um, and he's a political junkie and uh, a historian of uh, American politics. So uh, he'll He'll come on on Wednesday. Um, I've also booked um, other guests. I promised you I would, and I, I, I have done that. Uh, Joanne Rogers will be joining us in uh, two weeks, um, and uh, some other folks as, as well that I'm trying to uh, line up. So just to say. Henry writes Ray Rose Roseanne. I was never a regular watcher of Roseanne back in the day, and I doubt I'll be a regular watcher of this new reboot. From the acting perspective, Roseanne can't act her way out of a box. That's true. I think paper bag is the general metaphor, right? And Laurie Metcalf, 
who is a very good actress. Uh, Henry says, I think this is a step backwards for her, having just been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, for Lady Bird. Well, it's a nice payday, though. <laughs> you know, you can't, can't prevent actors from making money. Uh, and I actually saw somebody who's... Uh, whose opinion I generally listen to say rave about uh, Laurie Metcalf's portrayal of uh, Roseanne's sister on this. Um, you know, a car- cartoonish uh, liberal. Uh, I just don't have the um, stomach to laugh about something which to me is just so damn deadly serious. Um, Henry says, one of the newer shows I've come to enjoy is CBS's Life in Pieces, uh, a 30-minute show that is divided into four separate stories in 30 minutes with commercials? Jeez. It's funny and real with very good character development. Barbara Streisand's husband, James Brolin, plays the grandfather and is very funny. Okay. But it's a sitcom, Henry. I just don't like them. I, I, I don't like them. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Oh, I love this. From the County of Allegheny, the Office of the Treasurer. Good morning. Please ignore the previous email. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, I didn't even see the previous email. Uh, I'm not going to bother, okay? <laughs> Are you aware of what uh, happened in uh, Stroudsburg? Where is Stroudsburg? I've heard of it. I think this might even be East Stroudsburg. It's definitely in Pennsylvania. Um, but... This particular story, I, I mean, see, I don't watch the local news, so maybe this was on the local news. Um, this is at Stroudsburg High School. Uh, they have a rifle team, as do many high schools, and, you know, that's just about hitting targets and stuff. It's in Monroe County. I won't follow up with where's Monroe County. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Stroudsburg, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's in this half of the state, but I really don't know. Anyway, there's 21 students on the rifle team uh, at Stroudsburg High, and the rifles they've been they've been using are from like the 70s, and they just don't have the paraphernalia that they need, so they. Um, they heard that the NRA was um, giving grants, thousands of dollars worth of grants uh, uh, to schools to help them keep their equipment up. And so these kids, obviously before the killing in Parkland, um, they applied for some money from the NRA. Oh, so it's not in our half. It's Scranton and Allentown. It's between there. Okay. So, um, and they actually, I guess, uh, did receive a grant of almost $5,000 uh, from the NRA. But the, but the school board 
uh, had to vote on uh, the acceptance of the grant, and they did that on Monday, and six to two, they refused to take it. <laughs> six to two vote saying, we don't want, as one member of the school board said, your blood money. Um, in fact, one of the school board members said this, Guys, I grew up shooting rifles. I'm in the Army. I have a rifle. Uh, I love hunting, and I love the rifle team. But that all being said, this is dirty money. The NRA is a group that has transformed from a bunch of people who liked hunting in the 50s to something that, quite frankly, is a hateful, divisive group that seeks nothing but to push guns. Um, anyway... Uh, to make a long story short, uh, that amazing thing happened. But when the news came out, the community sort of pulled together for the kids and a GoFundMe thing started up. And the kids now have like over $15,000, uh, the rifle team, uh, gotten through uh, just people donating uh, money to them. Uh, and one of the people who did... Uh, give money to the GoFundMe account, said, I oppose the NRA, I oppose assault rifles, but I support the rifle team. Um, so I think all in all, that was, um, I sort of like that story. We have a caller. Caller, hi. How you doing, Lynn? I'm fine. Okay, um, you were talking about Roseanne earlier. Um, shows like that, I mean, it's funny some things about it. It always makes fun of the working class, and I find that insulting in some ways. I don't know. I just you think it makes fun because she's. I, I mean, I think her idea is that they make it, you look, they look she's stupid. showing you their humanity, I mean? and and um, well, I think they make fun of everybody. I mean, if you watch the reboot, uh, liber well, ri liberals yeah. look like idiots. Uh, you know, uh, she looks. Her family looks like. I mean, the idea is everybody is. Fair game in a sitcom. That's I just—I have a feeling it ain't gonna make it. Oh. I mean, it's going all right now, but what's that? I—how I, can you say that when it had such a huge, 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 huge audience? I mean, granted. Well, maybe you're right. Granted, I mean, a lot of people tuned in just the, out of curiosity, like I did. Right. Um, I'm not going to be watching it. But um, and and I think now that Donald Trump uh, showed himself to be a fan, I I, I suspect that a, a lot of people will wanna um, <laughs> will wanna boycott the show just knowing how angry everybody is these days. So who knows? I, I assure you, the next uh, show on what is it Monday nights? The next show is not gonna have the audience that it had last week. Right. Right. But I think it'll be a successful show. That's my that's my guess. Maybe it will. Yeah. Well. The, the show I like, but I bet they take off, is that one with Lin, Linda Lavin and Elliot Gould. And they all live in the same apartment building, the kids in different, you know, apartments. But it's pretty funny. But they, the stuff, it seems, goes off that you think is funny, but I don't know. <laughs> 
Well, you know you, what I mean? I, the stuff they take off, I like. The stuff they leave on, I don't really Yeah, like. that's usually the case, Maybe it's isn't just it? me. Yeah. Well, I, you know, thank God for on-demand, Netflix, you know, and, and all the other right. streaming services because, you know, we, you don't have to watch. I mean, it, it, there's always something to watch yeah. someplace, right? That's right. It's just a matter of finding yep. it. Yeah, yeah. So thank you very much. Appreciate the call. Okay, thank okay, you. Okay, bye. Bye. Uh, what we got here? Margaret. Uh, Margaret says, I will not watch Roseanne now. See, that's what I'm telling you. (laughs) That's two of us. (laughs) Okay. Um, Beth writes, in watching Anderson Cooper last night, we saw Alan Dershowitz on the show. In his responses last night, I would bet he is about to join Trump's defense team. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that he hasn't. Because he's clearly, I don't know what's happened to him. But he's clearly out there uh, and giving support constantly. So that would be that would be a. I mean, they can't seem to find anybody who uh, of any note, and they need some good lawyers. And Dershowitz might have, for some reason, lost his mind, but he's probably still a damn good uh, strategist, as he was for O.J. Uh, we have a call. Hi, caller. Hi. Back to Roseanne. Yeah. I'm uh, I watched the you know out of curiosity. I didn't really watch the original series, but I watched the you know yeah. the hour long special yeah. or whatever. Yeah. For you know curiosity, like you said. Now what's interesting is I watched the 60 minute thing with Stormy right. for spite. I really don't care about. You know, I just <laughs> watched spite. it for spite just to, so they had high numbers. But with Roseanne. <laughs> I want to know where this is going. <laughs> you know, I, I really want to know. I almost don't want to watch it for spite, but I also want to watch it <laughs> because I want to know where it's going. You know, that was the first two episodes. But with the, um, you know, the gay daughter, the cross-dressing 10-year-old, the, you know, the black daughter, you know, whose mom's still in, at war, there's a lot of stuff that can happen before the end of the season. Yes. I want to see where <laughs> Oh, you really do? You want to see. Yeah, I really, I really want to see how, because with Roseanne Barr, and I know she's a, a Trump supporter, but I'm really not sure that she's not doing it in a, we'll call it a Stephen Colbert-ish kind of way. I don't I'm think so. Sure I mean, she voted for <laughs> Trump. She voted for Trump. She said she voted for no, Trump. No, she voted for <laughs> Trump. She yeah. loves him. And I got to yeah, yeah. say, you know, because she's Hollywood, she is a lot more socially liberal than the average Trump voter, which is why, you know, the very preachy, transsexual uh, thing in the, in the pilot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and th- that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what makes me curious, is that she's a, I don't know, a Trump supporter, because, you know, they said in the, in the episode that, you know, he said he's going to create jobs. You know, like most Trump supporters supported him. But then there were the Trump supporters who would reject the trans, you know, the, the uh, yeah. cross-dressing 10-year-old and the, you know, black daughter and the uh, uh, the black granddaughter and the, you know, uh, right. lesbian daughter. 
and all that kind of good stuff, which to me <laughs> makes makes it interesting. Like, how well, is that going? That's how right. How are you going to do that? That's right. And here's another <laughs> thing. Maybe, you know, here's a positive. Uh-huh. Maybe all the Trump voters who are not socially liberal uh, are going to have their heads expanded by watching this because, you know, uh, like John Goodman's character, the fact that, I mean, he was understandably concerned that his grandson was going to be beaten up, yeah, if he went to school in a skirt. But then he saw, he acknowledged the incredible courage of yeah. this kid, and and then and the she, was, sorry. yeah, go ahead. But I mean, I think that little by little, drip, drip, drip on a weekly basis might end up liberalizing uh, Trump supporters. That that that's kind of my point, yeah. and, and and I cracked up laughing. And you know, the only time my only real laugh was at the end when the little boy said. He has a peanut allergy. All I got to do is throw a bag or something <laughs> I at him. I, I cracked up. Oh, I know. That was funny. That was funny. That was funny. That was funny. And you can bet that and, triggered and, 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 a whole bunch of liberal types or peop- parents of kids yeah. with peanut allergies. But I cracked up. I did. <laughs> I forget. It was, it, was a, it was in a bag of peanuts. It was a bag of granola or something like that. Yeah. The, the choice of words was perfect. Yeah, I'll take them down just with like a bag. Right? by the way. <laughs> right, billfold. Just, just like you saying billfold. Yeah. I cracked up when you, say, when you said billfold instead of wallet. <laughs> that was a funny line. <laughs> Writers debate what words to use in comedies. Debate what words to use is going to yeah. be the funniest. Right. And billfold is funnier than wallet. So I laughed. I literally laughed out loud. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, okay. I mean, that's yeah. You're okay. absolutely right about that. And, but I'm not going to watch anyway, just because I don't. I just don't like sitcoms. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. So keep me keep oh. me up to date on it, then, Clarence. I I, I will. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. What do you mean? Stop it. Thought I turned it off. Excuse me. Oh, God, how do they get our cell phone numbers now? Because that's nobody I know. I mean, what is it? I hate it. Anyway, so I I remember, when was it, like two days ago or something that I had wanted to talk? I said, oh, I got a good rant, and it was right about this time in the show, and I said, but I won't bring it up. I was just going to bring it up again, and then Clarence called, and now I'm down to the same lousy amount of time? All right. So it goes uh, on to tomorrow. I swear to God, tomorrow, Good Friday, right? I am going to um, get onto this subject of helicopter parents because it's a subject. I mean, I it's a subject I'm passionate. I'm passionate about. Any helicopter parents out there, you know. Arm yourselves accordingly, because um, you know I'm gunning for you tomorrow. Or can't we say things like that anymore? I don't know. Oh, shut up. Um. Oh, I know what I want to say, or just note. Trump <laughs> naming his the White House doctor. 
to head the VA. Now, I'm not saying that the White House doctor is not a fine human being and maybe even a great doctor. And he's a member of the military. Uh, but the contempt that this president has for expertise, <laughs> for, for professionalism. The, the Veterans Administration is one of the largest, I think I heard someone say it was the second largest agency in the government. It's huge. God knows how many people it employs, how many facilities it runs. It is and has been plagued by all kinds of scandals and uh, this is and that's over the years. It's, I mean, this is an agency that needs somebody who is really skilled, not at doing physicals, is skilled at administration. The job of running a huge, 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 huge bureaucracy like that, a bureaucracy that people depend on for their very lives, he appoints a guy who's never run anything. Well, it's like appointing me. I wouldn't, I mean, I'm not an idiot, but I've never run anything. This guy is a, it's sort of like Ben Carson over at HUD. Yeah, he's a brain surgeon. But he's a friggin' idiot when it comes to the job he got appointed to. There's no way this guy's going to be as idiotic as Ben Carson. But, I mean, it shows a contempt that this president, and I would suggest, a lot of his supporters have, by, by virtue of the fact that they elected him. Oh, let's make this guy who's a reality show star and who inherited millions from his father and, um, you know, has more bankrupt businesses than um, you and I will ever have in our lifetimes. Let's have him run the United States of America. A vote for Trump was like this, like putting this guy, Rear Admiral Ronnie Jackson, in charge of the VA. It shows an incredible contempt for expertise. <laughs> and we know that Trump's base doesn't like education, doesn't like educated people, dismisses educated people with elite Elite. I mean, what's next? Uh, Trump's going to put his uh, proctologist uh, in, uh, run the interior department? Because, you know, Zinke is, uh, is, is attracting a lot of negative attention there. 
unbelievable. So here is a president, and we want to thank, I want to thank again all of you who voted for him, anybody who voted for him. Thanks a lot. And we now have a president who has gotten rid of a whole ton of people who maybe had a little bit of an idea of what they were supposed to be doing in their jobs, and he is replacing them with people who don't have a clue. But who? The Donald Likes. Great criteria. Jesus. Okay, that's it for me. I am done. I am done. And uh, keep dry, and I'll see you tomorrow. Okay? Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.